Preventing, detecting, and responding to employee fraud. What you can do as a company. Next on On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This on-air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's topic, employee fraud is much more common than most business owners and managers realize. Theft and embezzlement occurs in businesses of every size and across all industries. Employee fraud and embezzlement is also a hidden problem, one that is not frequently advertised or reported. Ken Pickering from the law firm Myrick O'Connell with offices in Worcester, Boston, and Westboro is an attorney and chair of Myrick O'Connell's Government and Internal Investigations Group. He has been conducting internal corporate investigations for over 20 years. Ken Pickering, thanks so much for joining us on our podcast today. Thank you, Howard. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. So the first question I'd have is, what type of businesses are most at risk in terms of this type of fraud? Howard, it's, it's nearly any business that has employees. There really is no industry that is more prevalent than others. As long as there are employees, uh, there's a risk of fraud. And interestingly, it, it often occurs in some of the smaller companies more often than in larger companies. Uh, mm. In fact, the median loss is actually larger in companies with fewer than 100 employees, typically in the $200,000 range. And companies with more than 100 employees, the, the losses are typically less, perhaps in the $100,000 range. And that has to do with some of the division of duties and controls that are in place in larger companies. So smaller companies really are susceptible to, to employee fraud. And that really surprises me. You would not think that. So what would be the most prevalent fraud schemes? So what are people up to here? There's a number of them, and uh, it, it always is surprising the ways in which people pursue the fraud, the way it occurs. And part of that is employees, they don't jump in and typically start stealing from a business right away. This typically occurs after employees have been there for years. They see the operations, they understand the controls or lack of controls, uh, and then the fraud starts based on the opportunities and, and their perceived need. Uh, but we've seen uh, employee fraud involving corruption, uh, billing fraud, check tampering, uh, expense reimbursements, uh, as you can imagine, and skimming of, of cash on hand. Uh, so it can be very elaborate fraud, everywhere from setting up companies which become a fake a vendor. And so checks are made to a fake vendor, which this employee actually owns, to cash on hand and just skimming cash out of the, the petty cash drawer. It's almost like they're casing the joint in a way. They absolutely are. You hate to put it that way, but uh, they understand sometimes the controls better than even the owners because they're doing it every day. Hmm. And what are the common behavioral red flags? Is there anything that firms can look out for? Anything that's like a common denominator among these folks? There are some red flags. It's interesting. You really cannot pick out a fraudster based on prior history. A quarry check is not going to help you the vast majority of fraudsters have no criminal history. I think the, the number is about 4% have had a prior conviction. So the, the way to pick it up is through the red flags. Most fraudsters will display at least one red flag and many will display multiple red flags. 
So the big ones include living beyond your means, financial difficulties that you may hear about from the employee, sometimes an unusually close association with a vendor or customer. We've certainly seen that at times where there's a sort of a kickback scheme. Control issues. If your employee rarely goes on vacation or only goes on short vacations and keeps tight control of the books, there may be an issue there. Family problems or, or divorce can also be an issue because that sometimes creates uh, a need or perceived need for extra money. And what are the age characteristics, the common age bracket for these folks? Is there one? You know, most frauds occur uh, during people's sort of mid-career, 35 to 45. But interesting, the, the largest losses come with people over 55 years of age. And that may be because a fraud is typically a slow-moving occurrence. So people generally don't sit down, come up with a scheme uh, like Ocean's Eleven to steal a, a million dollars and, and then carry off the scheme. Sometimes I often wonder if it happens by accident that they overpay themselves or an extra payment comes in and they realize no one's caught this. And even if there is a plan, it typically starts off very small so if anyone catches it or there's a question, they can deny it and it's small money and it's no big deal. But once that's successful, it grows and grows and grows. And it typically grows exponentially over time. And so if no one is catching on to them, uh, the, the numbers typically grow. And so that's why some of the older employees actually have been the worst fraudsters. What is uh, the rough estimate, Ken, if you know, of the percentage of these incidents that are reported to law enforcement? We hear from the National Association of Fraud Examiners that it's about 60% of the frauds are actually that are discovered are actually reported to police. I would say in my own practice, it might even be a little less than that, about 50-50. And that depends on a number of, of factors. One, what the business, whether there's a requirement that they report, frankly, the closeness of the fraudster to the individual. It, it, it's shocking, Howard, but often these fraudsters are almost like family members to the business owners. They are so close. Uh, and I think that often gives them the feeling that they, they deserve a little more. And so they'll just take it. Most people would never know that. In fact, you'd probably think the opposite, that they have contempt for the owners. It, it's quite often that the business owner feels terrible, almost as bad about it as the employee, because this has been a trusted employee in a small business. The business might be handed down from generation to generation. This might be someone that worked with, you know, very closely with the business owner's parents, almost like an aunt to the individual. It's not uncommon that they're almost like family members. It's that close. So, Ken, what do you do? What is a firm, what is a company, a small firm, large firm, what do they do when a fraud is detected? The first thing, people sometimes have an instinct to either immediately call the police or immediately confront the fraudster. And that's typically not the thing to do. We recommend conducting an investigation without letting anyone know that they know that there's a fraud going on. And the reason is you want to determine the extent of the fraud because typically the fraudster will not admit the extent of the fraud. So if you realize there's fraud in your company and you only know of one aspect of the fraud, there may be others. Uh, and so you want to try and determine that beforehand. What methods are people using to commit the fraud? What people are involved? Most times it's one person acting alone, but we've certainly seen circumstances where there's more than one employee involved. Uh, and so you want to make sure that you get your arms around that. And then it may be that you 
bring that employee in and confront them on premises. Or it may be that you then report them to the police based on the owner's wishes, whether, as I say, there's insurance, uh, which requires a report to the police, and frankly, whether the main goal is to recoup funds. And if the main goal is to try and recoup the, the funds that have been stolen, oftentimes that means you don't go to the police because the fraudster may be able to come up with assets that you could not get through legal process. For example, the equity in their home is protected by a homestead, but the fraudster may be willing to release some of that equity to you if there's not a report to the police. And obviously, you have to be very careful as an attorney. You can never threaten going to the police to try and settle a matter like this, but you can certainly address the problem and let the employee know that it might be handled internally if they can make full restitution. So much of this is not what one would think. It's kind of amazing. Fascinating advice and useful. And that kind of goes to my next question, Ken. In your opinion, what are the best methods to just prevent us from getting here in the first place to prevent employee fraud? This is a challenging one too, Howard, and it, it is not what you might think, which would be very robust controls. Um, certainly that's a, a part of it. But really the, the number one thing uh, is a code of conduct and having a, a tip line or having a culture where employees are encouraged to come and report on other employees for the good of the business. Most of these frauds are actually detected via a tip. The, the fraudsters, as we discussed earlier, they've worked in the business, they know the controls, they've tested the systems, they've found the weaknesses, and the, the controls that are currently in place are not catching them. Uh, and so it really is another employee who might have a funny feeling uh, or hear something. And if there's a, a culture in the business, uh, there's a code of conduct, there's a tip line. Sometimes an anonymous tip line is very important. So people don't have to, to rat out their friends, quote unquote, but they can drop a dime without coming forward themselves. That's all very important. So it really is a multifaceted approach to this. There's, there's no silver bullet. Interesting. So we've been talking about preventing, detecting, and responding to employee fraud. Ken Pickering from Myrick O'Connell, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. Uh, it's a fascinating topic, and uh, and it, it does damage to so many businesses. We really appreciate your giving your insight here. It's my pleasure, Howard. Thank you for having me. Thanks. On behalf of Ken Pickering and Myrick O'Connell, I'm Howard Kaplan. Thanks for joining us, and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Mm-hmm.